the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. to the marinade with jason earl episode 16 and the great bj barham of american aquarium returns to the show the last time we talked with bj he was on his great 48 tour he just released a critically lauded solo record called rockingham his bandmates had gone separate ways and he and his wife and their dog were traveling across the contiguous united states making a stop in all of the lower 48 at that time unfortunately we could only catch up by phone in between gigs in the midwest that was episode one of this show, and man, have things changed since then. BJ hired a new band, has had a new addition to the family, has an outstanding new record in American Aquarium's Things Change, and has gone from years of touring in cramped vans with lineup changes and drunkenness to now enjoying sobriety, clarity of mind, married life, fatherhood, and critical acclaim. BJ Barham and the Marinade with Jason Earl have both grown immensely, even in the last year, so this is a special thrill for me. I've long been a fan of BJ's music, and he's been really good at the show since before anyone else was really listening. We caught up recently before his gig with Travis Meadows, who you can catch on episode 15, and Hannah Harbour of Hannah Harbour and the Lionhearts, who will appear in her own episode very soon. Hannah had a funny moment with BJ that kind of gives a window into the kind of guy he is and the caliber of people he surrounds himself with. So I invited her to record a little intro with us, and so I'm going to let her tell the story, and then you'll hear my conversation with BJ Barham. Also, the song you heard at the beginning of this episode and playing underneath this intro is The World Is On Fire. It's off of Things Change, and it's probably my favorite American Aquarium song of all time. Many of you have no doubt devoured Things Change, but if you're new to American Aquarium's music, go stream this record immediately. It's more than a great rock record. BJ has something incredibly important to say and has done so with impressive clarity. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 16, BJ Barham Returns. I did, um, at home that day, I kind of ran through some of my songs that I knew I would do. And since I've got a full band as well, to kind of come back to a full set of songs without their accompaniment is a little different. So the arrangements of the songs change a little. So anyway, I'd been working on that at home. I had this one song where I needed a capo. I left the capo at home. So I get on stage, I get all set up, and I just had a line check. So I open my guitar case, I put my strap on, I realize I don't have a capo in my case. So... 
I go down to the merch table and talk to pigs and he's like, oh, just take the one off BJ's headstock. It'll be fine. <laughs> of course it'll be fine. <laughs> so if you were at the show, people listening, the, the guitars on stage, there were so many instruments on stage and Will's yeah. stage is not huge. So I like tiptoe around, I grab BJ's capo, put it on my guitar. The song I played that needed it was like the third song in, I think. And I go to take the capo off my guitar and the thing literally just like falls apart into two pieces <laughs> in my hands. And there was like that <gasps> because Will's also isn't very big in front of where the stage is. And so people standing there were like, oh, she just broke that. Oh, no. <sighs> and so it was fine. I just play the rest of the set. But it's was it a Sunday or a Monday? It was a Monday. A Monday night. <laughs> so at this point, it's like 9 p.m. Yeah. So I'm like. As I'm playing the rest of my set, I'm racking my brain. Like, where can I go right now to even go buy him a new capo? Oh, like, he's wow. going to need this in half an hour, you yeah. know? So I get off the stage, and I go down to Pigs. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And Pigs just chuckles, and he's like, oh, look at this thing. It was bound to break soon or whatever. <laughs> and so then I'm still just like, oh, God, I got to tell BJ. Oh, I broke it. Like, what a dummy. You know? <laughs> of course this happens to me. So... BJ comes in, he talks to pigs and I'm like standing off to the side of the merch table. And I didn't really even see him come in until he was like making a beeline toward me. And I thought to myself, Oh God, here it comes. Mm -hmm. And he just grins and hugs me. And he's like, I was about to break it. If you didn't, you know, oh, and that nice Southern drawl that right, he has. Right. I was just like, gosh, how gracious of a yeah. human, you know? Yeah. And not that I wouldn't have expected that from him, right. but <clears throat> when you're on the road and like your stuff is your stuff, mm. I totally would have understood if he was like, this girl, what the heck, you yeah. know? But he was just so kind about it and uh, went on to play his set. I, like, left him some money. He came back over. He gave me the money. He's like, I have three other capos in my case. Yeah. Like, stop it, yeah, you they know? Got a, they got a bus now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm on a bus, lady. Enjoy your ride home in your Kia. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he was just so, so kind. Baby, bus right through. Check one, two, check one, two, hey, hey, hey. Check, check, check. Check one, two, check one, two. Is that good? Yeah, we're all good. Killer. Dope. Thanks so much, BJ. Thanks again, man. This is really cool. Yeah. It, uh, it's been a year since we recorded what ended up being episode one of this podcast while you were on the Great 48. Yeah. And we did it by phone. Um, and so, you know, so much has changed. So yeah. we're sitting here on your bus right now. Yeah, life, <laughs> life has changed a touch since last summer. <laughs> it's so amazing. Um, the new record is wonderful. Thanks, man. I absolutely love it. I've been really devouring it, and um, I want to talk a lot about it. But also, like, this really cool thing has happened where I've just found myself, like, um, like your music keeps coming up you and your music like keep coming up in in really positive ways i'm okay with that <laughs> <laughs> so like so my, my good friends peter and heather got married recently and um you you i don't know if you remember this but uh it's about it was on the great 48 tour i took peter to see your show and he thought he was going to see dj barham and he, a DJ I thought, he just thought oh, he was going to see like a DJ. a dj yeah uh, so he had no idea what he was getting into, and then he fell in love with your music and awesome. and introduced his now wife to uh, Rockingham, and she fell in love with Madeline, the yeah. song Madeline, as as so much so many of us have, and so the first dance with her and her father at their wedding uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's awesome. He she she played it for him, and she was like, "Is this are you okay with this being the the song we dance to?" and she said that her father started crying, and that's when she knew it was all right. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is the ultimate compliment. That's you it, can, right? You can pay a songwriter is something that I made up and wrote down on paper uh, affects people to the point where they show those kind of emotions. That's that's exactly what you aim for when you're when you're writing songs. You're writing these songs to evoke something out of someone, 
so it's nice to see that that song meant, meant something not just her but her dad that's the coolest thing yeah it was a really cool moment and um you know it's and then since then of course you've had a baby girl yeah i've got a little girl josephine pearl congratulations uh, at home yeah she's two and a half months old and yeah. she's uh she's a little heartbreaker already man. She's, <laughs> she's, 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 she's great how is that uh, has has having her impacted your creative process in any way um well i haven't written any songs since she got here uh i wrote songs about the uh her uh, her impending arrival yeah um but i haven't written anything about uh her actually being here um so i i'll answer that question at a later date okay um for now though it's uh i can tell you right now it's going to inspire mm. years of inspiration just yeah because this record inspired just me the thought of me being a father inspired so much of this record yeah i'm trying to put aside the negative view i had of just about everything in my 20s mm-hmm. and trying to find those little rays of of, of light yeah. and those little rays of hope and and really what i consider dire situations mm-hmm. um so just watching how my attitude towards life and the general well-being of our country and uh, being on the road, just watching how I view that, and 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 yeah, writing about the negative still because it wouldn't be an American Aquarium record without stating some <laughs> of the, the horrible things in my life. But right. but also finding that 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 uptick uh, toward the end and finding that hope and leaving people with not a negative song but something that they can put a little bit of faith in. Yeah, well, I mean, I wrote down the word hope. I, mean, I think there is, and and some it's been written about this record i think that's one of the underlying themes for sure yeah uh perseverance and hope uh were the two things that i wanted people to take away from this record Mm -hmm. um i wanted people obviously you know me and and this band are 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 a a living example of perseverance yeah Um, it's you know this is i think you know it that's the word i think of when i think of this band yeah, uh, and every member that's ever been in it. It's about not taking no for an answer and not taking a horrible situation for, oh, well, I guess we can't be a band anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, when everybody quits and still finding people that want to do this and finding people that can not only do it. I knew that when I rebuilt this band, I couldn't rebuild this band and it be the same. Yeah, I knew that if I was going to do it, I had to make it better. Mm. that's the only way anybody would accept it is if it was better yeah and i had to go out and i did it i I went out and i built a better band um for folks that haven't seen us yet um a lot of folks that haven't seen the band are still kind of weary they're Mm -hmm. like because at that at that point if you've seen us any over the last eight years that wasn't just the band that was family for a lot of people yeah that was we got to see a lot of people you know two three four times a year and our band became not a band anymore it became like a member of their family yeah so when you're replacing an entire band or an entire side of the family you know i i've been equating it to to bringing a new girl home for 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 the holidays yeah you know and you got the the crazy grandma who's like well what happened to the other one i like the other one what'd you do to mess it up (laughs) and then you have to explain to grandma that like that relationship wasn't working for you and that this one is much better for where you are in life now. Yeah. And, you know, after two or three Christmases, Grandma starts spelling her name right on the presents, and <laughs> she becomes part of the family again. I told the boys coming into this that there was going to be a lot of that. There was going to be a lot of fans that questioned, uh, you know, are they as good as the old band? Yeah. And not one person has come up and said it. Not one yeah. person has come up and talked to me and said, you know what, man, like I – you really took a step back with this one. This band, <laughs> this band is is special. This yeah. band is uh, not just on a record. This band touring wise is special. Um, there's a new energy to the shows. Mm. There's a new, there's a gross amount of positivity at the shows. Mm. Uh, everybody who's on that stage wants to be on that stage, and there's and there's no denying it. You can't watch this show for 90 minutes and be like, oh, they're faking it, or they're yeah. Like, it's just sheer adrenaline and. And, and happiness. Yeah, and it's so interesting you mentioned that because I've only seen this band once, and that was in uh, Dallas. So I have when Florida and Michigan were playing, yeah. I flew out there for that, and y'all happened to be playing that night. So some buddies of, of oh, ours you just got went. to see the Granada Theater show. Yep, yeah, yep. it was so much fun. Yeah, everybody was having a great time. That was time. the second show we ever played together. Yeah, 
Uh, you mentioned that. And yeah. That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 re- like the boys rehearsed without me for almost two months before I even got there. Oh wow. So like they knew the songs front and back. Yeah. And then when I got there, we practiced a week with just me there. Mm-hmm. And then we took it on the road. And from day one, people were like, "There's no way this is your first, second, third, fourth crazy, show." Man. We're like, "Yeah, it is." And that and that's all a testament to the band. This. Uh, I know every everybody every front man says, "Oh man, my band, my band, my band." <laughs> this band is special. This, awesome. I've never played with a band like this before. Yeah, um, they do all the heavy lifting. Yeah, uh, and they all want to be here. That's the big thing. It's like the old band when we started. The old band, everyone was where we are now. Mm. Mindset wise, everybody was excited. Everybody was happy to be here. Everybody was really uh, like kind of, you know chomping at the bit to get on the road and play songs for people yeah and over the course of a decade that desire fades and priorities fade mm-hmm. and priorities change mm-hmm. i'm not going to say fade because those guys still had things that they were passionate about but it just wasn't being in this band anymore right and over the course of a decade it faded to the point where they didn't feel like they could make music with me anymore mm. uh, and so they all left february 2017 they parted ways uh, they told me they did not want to play music with me and uh that was a big crossroads for me was do i do do i continue this solo thing because i had the bj barham like solo record that came mm-hmm. out the year before it's like do i continue on as a solo artist or do i mm-hmm. put american aquarium together and then i realized that those guys weren't the original members mm-hmm. you know i've had 32 mm-hmm. members in this band in 12 years mm-hmm. um, that as long as i was still willing to sing the songs and as long as i was still willing to write the kind of music that american aquarium is known for that the band could always exist as long as I was willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's when I, I got myself together. I had like two weeks of feeling sorry for myself. And, <laughs> you know, the alt country Eeyore just kind of like walking around, <laughs> walking around the house and, oh, woe is me. My yeah. band quit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I tell everybody, my wife pretty much gave me two weeks of feeling sorry for myself. And then she said, you know, you can either bitch about it or you can change it. Mm. And so I went out and I changed it. Um, I got I put together a band that that is is fantastic. It's the first time I play with anybody that isn't like a friend of a friend. It, it was a, the band started with a bunch of kids I went to college with, and then as one person left, they would replace it with like, oh, I got a friend who plays guitar. Like, yeah. Let's get him. Or I know this guy who plays drums. Let's get him. That's how everybody came into the band. Yeah. And this is the first time where I went out and I got professional musicians, like hired guns, if you will. Sure. Like went out and found guys that like what they do for a living is they play in bands mm-hmm. and they've done it since they were 18 and they're all in their thirties and they're all married and they all have, mm-hmm. some of them have kids. And so it's like, they're at a different point in their life. I wasn't going out and getting a bunch of 18 year olds and trying to convince them to hit the road with me. That's going to make a huge difference for your quality of life too, huge. given where you are, you know, you know, one of the other guys is sober. So like uh, two fifths of the band is sober that's great. and everybody else is up in their thirties. So everybody else is at the point where it's like, they know what social drinking is and they uh-huh. know what getting fucked up is and yeah. they're past like nobody gets hammered before shows yeah it's like, they drink because it's fun they don't drink to cope with anything right 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 um and so it, it's been a great environment um well that, that's how you're gonna get and that's a huge part of how you're gonna get the performances that you're getting too oh exactly you know. everybody mean, the guys that are drinking are having one or two beers for the show yeah and then walking on stage and killing it yeah and then after the show, they can go to a bar all they want and stumble back to the bus. And as long as they're here before we leave, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I told him, I was like, you know, this is a job. Yep. And the show is the most important part of our job. Yep. And so we're very, very lucky at this point now that, you know, I'm at a point where I can have guys that take it that serious. Yeah. You know, that treat it like a nine to five. And it's uh, it shows on the, on the on stage. It's like this 90 minutes that we get to play every day is like their favorite time of the day. Yeah. And it just wasn't that with the last band. Uh, uh. It started being their favorite, but like I said, you go a decade in with just about anything, uh, yeah. and priorities shift, personalities yeah. change, um, people change. Um, so I probably <laughs> answered a bunch of your questions just up front. Well, I mean, uh, which is great. Uh, I, I want to dive deep into the record a little bit, but yeah. um, and then uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much there though. Like that's 
and I'm so happy for y'all. And it's so Thanks, good to man. see that that things are going so well. I'm so glad you're back here too, playing Wills. It has been three years, over three years since the band played here. Too long. April 2015 is when the band played here. I remember. It. I wrote about it. Um, and the only reason I remember was because that was the night that everything started falling apart. No shit. In the band, yeah. Really? Uh, we got done sound checking. Uh, everybody was in a terrible mood. We were like four weeks into a tour or something. It was just a, a crappy tour. Um, nobody was really, we weren't doing really great numbers. Uh, I think everybody was bad on sleep or something. We, it was just a bad day. Yeah. So we got done sound checking and all the guys were complaining about how they hated, you know, why were we doing this tour? Why, why were we doing this? They hated oh, wow. it, blah, blah. And at the end of sound check, I told them, I was like, well, if you don't like it, you can all leave. And I was like, nobody's forcing you to be here. And that was the day that I took it. Like, I went into kind of self-preservation mode. As soon as I got done with the sound check, I went back to our hotel room and I started the BJ Barham Twitter page. Uh -huh. I started the BJ Barham Facebook page. I booked a summer tour and I started making plans to to write a record. And that was after the show? That here. was That's after really the last Will show. That was the one where the guy was up front. He's a big old dude. He was drunk. Guy was up front. And he was yelling every lyric back at you, and you looked at him and you go, "Your passion is greater than this machine." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was one of those things where I clearly remember that night because that was I told the boys when we got here, they're like, well, "When was the last time you played here?" It was like three, three, a little over three years ago, uh, with a band. I bet I played yeah. your solo almost every summer. Um, yeah, but with a band, it's been since April 2015. I remember we were selling flamingo posters. Uh, for the big Florida run at the merch. I'll remember it so clearly. Yeah. And that was the day that I literally went back to our hotel room after sound check and started focusing on this. It, it was the first day that I admitted to myself, this band's not going to last. Wow. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Cause I was there and, and for me as a fan, it was just a wonderful experience. Yeah. You know, I had a great the, time. The boys could put on a face. Yeah. They, they could, were great. They, could, they, they, they could, because at the end of the day, it was also a job for them, too. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, we'd been playing together for 10 years. There wasn't like a – like I wasn't afraid of them like messing the songs up. They played them every night for th 10 years. Yeah. So the shows got to a point where like no matter how they felt, the shows were still going to be good. Sure. From a technical aspect. Yeah, yeah. We were still going to play the shows. <clears throat> but when you see the show tonight, you'll understand what I'm talking about, the energy yeah. and the positivity. Yeah. Because there's a difference between just playing through the songs – and then playing through the songs with like fervor and playing through the songs with passion and yeah. playing through the songs with like when you look at everybody on stage and everybody's smiling and yelling at each other like <laughs> like excited for a solo and excited for like this one big part um it's a different monster now it's great man and, and and it's not knocking anything the old band did because i would have never appreciated this band as much if it weren't for them sure so it's it's one of those things where i i haven't i don't really talk to the old guys too much mm. But, like, if I could, I would just tell them thank you. Because mm -hmm. I would have never fired those guys. I would have sure. never got a cleaned house. Uh, but by them quitting, it allowed me to, to build a band um, of people that wanted to be here. And that's okay. And it's, and it's okay, totally okay. You know, and it's okay that you had your two weeks. You know, you yeah. had your two weeks to, to deal with it. Because, of course, you did. That's a long relationship. Yeah. It, it was, it, and that's exactly what it was. it was. It was sulking after breaking up with five of my best friends. Yeah. That's totally normal. You know, and... Going into this, I tell people, I'm like, I miss the old guys, too. Yeah. Like, I miss what we had. Sure. The good times. I miss sure. all the great times we had. But, like, those guys, a lot of those guys have found different callings. Mm -hmm. And they're happier now. Mm -hmm. And they're better people now. Right. Um, there's a couple of them that have kind of, you know, they're still kind of angry. Oh, interesting. Because like, they felt like their hand was forced because a bunch of the guys quit. And then they quit because they just didn't. They didn't think that I would be willing to put the work in, huh? Which is the work in in the relationships. The work into like rebuilding the band. Oh, interesting. So they quit, um, kind of with the thought like, if all of us quit, there's no way he's gonna rebuild this thing, right? Where do you think they got? Because I mean, that's kind of your mo. That's completely your, against thing. like my ethos <laughs> yeah. as a human being. Yeah. Um, I wonder where that came from. I'm a. I'm a I'm a Her worker. Feelings? I'm a worker. Yeah, uh, yeah it was. One, I, I think it was. They maybe they didn't want to put in the work. Maybe sure. they didn't want to put in the time of training. Sure, sure. Three or four new players. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it was, but I know for a fact that they all quit on me. I remember where we were. We were sitting in a room in February, uh, road trip to Raleigh. Yeah. Uh, the third road trip to Raleigh. We sat in a conference room, and I thought we were going to that conference room to talk about the upcoming year. 
of touring, uh-huh. and we walked in there, and they all said we need to talk about something before we get to like the matters at hand. Uh, we're all we're all walking away from this thing, every one of them. Whoa! So like it doesn't matter to me like what story gets told. Like if anybody felt felt like they were forced, nobody was forced out. Yeah. Nobody was given the boot. Nobody was fired. Everyone quit. Yeah. Um. And so if there's any hard feelings for that, that's not on me. Yeah. Um. It took me a while to get to that point yeah. of not putting the the blame on me. I felt terrible for for until this new band started playing. Until after this new band started playing, that's tough because you're the leader of the band. I'm the leader of the band, and I couldn't keep them together. I couldn't. So I started just blaming myself. Yeah. And I started looking back, and I started thinking, like, why do people quit bands? Mm. Is it money? No. Everybody was getting paid. Great. Mm-hmm. Everybody was tied. Everybody was the owner of the business. They weren't getting paid per show. They were getting paid percentages of profits, which is far more than per show. Mm-hmm. That's okay. And then I tied everybody into my publishing. So they were getting paid for like, anytime I got paid, they got paid. That's great. So it was like, okay, money's not a thing. Mm-hmm. It's touring. And it's like every year since 2012, we have taken steps back at touring less, staying home more. I was like, so it's not a touring thing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like I had to suck up my pride and say, it was me. Everything else was going great in the band relationship like as far as like reasons people quit bands yeah the only thing was me and it was like was i that hard to deal with where they didn't feel like they could be in a band with me huh and so when i started this band like everything that i considered that i could have done wrong in that band i was up front with these guys i was like this is why they might have quit so if you see me doing anything you don't like transparency is key like talk to me yeah like if i say something that's out of line tell me like, I want to make sure that I'm growing as a person, growing as a band leader, growing as a musician, growing up as a small business owner. Yeah. And so these guys have been great because they're like, I don't, there's no problems. Everything's good. Huh. Because since they've been in the band, you know, the shows, the, the crowds have doubled and tripled in most markets. We're in a bus. Yeah. <laughs> we have a record that's in the top 10 of the Billboard charts in all three categories. That's, that's so good. They're not complaining at yeah. all because really and truly, it's like, all the dark days were before they got here. Yeah. And they've heard stories of the dark days, and fans have come up to them. It's like, last time I saw them, it looked like everybody was going to fight after the show. Nah. And they're just at a point where it's, they're in a good spot, and I'm that's in a good great. spot. Good. And that's the most important thing for me is, like, I'm able to do something I love doing still. Yeah. And be surrounded by people that lift me up. That's awesome. It's a glorious thing, man. Where do you go, like, so that, and that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Also, are you able to get feedback from them, especially on the creative process? The creative process is the same as it was in the other okay. band. I write the songs. I write these these acoustic folk songs. Yeah. And I bring them to them in a very skeletal form and just say, what can we add to these songs? Let's add enough to make it special. Yeah. But ne- let's not add too much to take away from the song. Because that's a very fine line because yeah. some bands just throw a shit ton of reverb and a bunch of noise on it and be like, okay, we've made it a song. No, you haven't. We can t- Our thing is add as much as we can and then start stripping away layers until we feel like we have served the song fully. And like with Wolves, Wolves was the only record that I gave up a lot of the creative process. Oh, interesting. Um, up until that point, I wrote songs. Everybody played parts that they thought we're good and I'd say I like this I don't like this I like this I don't like this and we made a like burn figured out was very much done that way yeah with wolves I felt it slipping I felt the band walking away I felt the band crumbling beneath me yeah so with when we made wolves I gave everybody like any part you want to come up with like I'm still writing the songs I'm still writing the structure but you'll notice with wolves there's a lot of weird musical moments for sure it's a very different record it's a very different record and a lot and a lot of times some of those musical moments don't seem like they belonged mm. in the song and we cut away a lot of them yeah um because brad cook was producing that record he was really great about being like that's a cool musical part but it doesn't fit the song it doesn't serve the song mm. what is this <laughs> thing doing here so you have these moments um like when we were relearning the songs with the new band they're like why is this here Ah. Like when we were doing like end over end, yeah, end over ends like a really plaintive acoustic, like song about being remorseful of like watching a lover fade away, yeah. And then there's this weird musical break in the middle of it. Um, it's almost like a, almost like a key change, but it's not a key change. Yeah. Um, I guess technically it could be a key change. Um, that the boys wanted to throw in there, 
and it seems forced and it sounds forced because it was forced yeah uh, and there's a few of those moments throughout the record where it's like did we really need that moment yeah and the answer is more than likely no but i didn't say no right i let it stay because i was trying to keep a band together i was struggling yeah. to keep people happy uh and when we made things change it went back to let's serve the song more that's great and, and, I, it, and it was really great because we were making a record with john fulbright who is a songwriter like a top tier songwriter and so when you have a producer that's a songwriter as well you also have another voice that people respect that say let's serve the song more what can we take away yeah instead of what can we add yeah and i think with wolves the boys wanted to add a lot more to make it more of their record uh-huh. uh, and in turn i think it took away from some of the songs can with uh things change so i i think it's i'm still processing because it's pretty new you know i'm still still we're, listening we're a, to we're it. a month it's a, almost it's not even a month old yet that's crazy that's so, what's nuts. I, i've been listening to it a ton and i think the world is on fire is my favorite american aquarium song which is saying a lot because i'm i've been a, a there's a lot of folks that have said that a big fan for a long time that's a that song comes out and punches you in the throat it does. from the from the jump and i wonder if because that part that when you were talking about that idea of like uh, making sure that the music serves the song, making sure that if you're putting something in there that it's not just there to be there. Exactly. That song seems like exactly what you're talking about. You know, if, as I'm thinking about, especially as it begins, right? Um, she woke up this morning, or she looked out the window and said, the world's on fire. And the band just busts then, through. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And, and that's such an evocative lyric, too. Like, I feel like, just about any of us, I can guarantee you the people listening to the marinade feel this way, have had some version of that conversation in the last two years a hundred times. I wrote that first verse the morning I woke up after the election. Yeah. And I watched my wife cry as we were watching the news. Once the final results had came in, I watched my, because we were trying to have a child at that point. Right. I watched my wife like crying. Yeah. Being like, why are we bringing something into this? Yeah. Uh, you know, if that's not going to make you write a song as an artist, like, yeah. Give it up. <laughs> Put your pen away and go work at a bank. You know, it's yeah. it, it was one of those moments. And we we refer to songs like Worlds on Fire and Tough Folks and Crooked and Straight as fastballs. Uh, you know, there's no there's no church there's no trying to fancy those up. It's like yeah. You put the lyrics out there, and you put the proper amount of uh, of arrangement behind it, and let the song sell itself. I like that. You know what Fastball, I mean? Like, I like you that. don't need a reverb soaked guitar solo to take your mind off the subpar lyrics. Like, let those lyrics stand on their own, and you just play. You keep them. You support the lyrics. Yeah. You play behind those lyrics, like and that's that. you know that's the that's that that comes from the church of Petty. That comes from the church of Springsteen. Uh, that comes from the church of every band that you love that has a songwriter in front of a shit hot band yeah is i'm gonna get out of here and say something that's important you back it up make it big make it danceable make it make it keep people's attention while i'm talking yeah and with worlds on fire i've got it wrong so many times but world on fire i got it right yeah and i'll be i know for a fact and this isn't cockiness this isn't being conceited this is just knowing when you hit the sweet spot of the ball right and I know 10 years from now, I'll look back on World on Fire and say, yeah. I got it right on that one. Yeah. There's still songs in our catalog that I go back and I'm like, I got it right. Yeah. I got it right. 10 years later, I hit, I hit that one square. Right. And uh, World on Fire is one of those songs. Um, it's, and, and a lot of people are like, well, you know, did you arrange it on purpose like this? Did you put it first? Yeah, I put it first for a reason. Yeah. I wanted people to put that into their CD player, hit play, <laughs> and I wanted it to come out and say listen yeah like because it starts off it's like this really pretty guitar interlude and then an acoustic guitar and you're like okay i've heard this this is american <laughs> it's an acoustic guitar and then yeah. after the first verse you get throttled there's ch chilling moments in it there's moments that, that like that the um that really give you goosebumps like we can't give in we can't give up just like you're just as it's building i'm just going yeah fuck yeah oh the we first first in. time i heard this song fully mixed mastered like I, I sat there and my wife i just kept hitting repeat yeah good i, like, I want to hear it one more time i want to hear it one more time that's great um and we we start every set off this tour we started every set off with the world's on fire it's it's an attention grabber well it's, it, it lets people know that that song's not an accident that song's not a deep cut or a throwaway that song is where we're at right now that song yeah i want people to know that that is 
I'm leading off with that song. That's, that's an great. important song to me. That's some Ricky Henderson shit right there. Yeah, that's some Ricky <laughs> Henderson shit. Man. Ricky Henderson knows some Ricky Henderson shit. <laughs> uh, but it, and it's it's been received really well. When it first came out, there was a couple people who were like, "This is too political. This is too you know stick to singing songs. Don't talk about politics." And I told him, I was like, "If you're listening to this song and all you're hearing hearing is politics, you're not listening to yeah, the song, man." Yeah. Why? Well, who do you have a lot of that? You get a lot of that. We've got, I'd say our fan base is 50-50. I'd say our fan base oh. is like 50 to the right, 50 to the left. See, I would picture most of them being left-leaning. We have a lot, but yeah. we also have a lot of right. And, like, I'm not saying anybody's wrong. I'm not sure. calling anybody stupid or dumb because yeah. that gets nothing done. No. Nope. And I've, I've told people this in interviews. I'm like, I'm about asking questions. Yeah. I'm about getting a dialogue open. Um, we used This country was really, 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 really great at – Dialogue and having a respectful discussion with yeah. people. We used to be so good at it. Even during the Bush administration, the Obama administration, even if we differed in opinions, we could sit down and talk. And then at the end, like, you know, have a drink or yeah. change it to college football and, and talk about something we had in common. Yep. It seems like, especially in the last two years, those discussions, when you remove respect from a discussion, it becomes an argument. And we've been having a lot mm. of arguments as a country. We've been having a lot of I'm right, you're wrong. If you mm. don't agree with me, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of 20 and 30 year old friends who are like defriending each other on Facebook. That's ridiculous. And just retiring to their bubble, you know, retiring yeah. to like being surrounded by like minded people. Yeah. And that's what's leading to this fracture in our country is, yeah. is nobody wants to talk anymore. And if anybody does, it's like, stop being political, man. Yeah. And it's like, tell Dylan that in the 60s. Tell anybody who has ever seen social change happening in a negative way and speaking up against it, man. I've told so many people, I'm like, if you don't if you disagree with my politics, you got to put up with two songs on this new record. <laughs> and I was like, get out of here with that nonsense. Yeah. I was like, you can't expect me to write from the vein yeah. on my life, my relationships, my, the road, my band, everything I see. But then tell me, hey, BJ, I need you to cut it off yeah. on that whole like world observation thing. <laughs> I need you to not speak up on that. <laughs> You know, the most tumultuous time in our country's history that I've seen in my 34 years here. I've never seen a break like this. Yeah. And so telling me to be quiet as an artist, it's like, get out of here, man. I was like, if you want to listen to people that align with just the right, go listen to Nugent. Go listen to Toby Keith. And and, and get out of here. You got options. Every Everybody else, like, whether or not they're going to admit it on an interview or not, if you're an artist... Most artists are left leaning, man, and yep. I hate to break that to anybody out there who's listening that <laughs> thinks that like their favorite artist yeah. is you know a, a crazy conservative right winger because it's not true. Yeah, it's just not true. The difference is some people just aren't willing to speak up about it. Yeah, because they're afraid of alienating you. Yeah, they're afraid of alienating that fan base, and I get, I totally get that. Sure, that's why I haven't written about p- politics ever because it's like. My parents always told me there's two things you don't talk about at the dinner table: it's politics and religion. Yeah, and so I leave. I, I've left that out of so many songs, but it got to a point, especially at this year of my life, being a dad, becoming a dad, mm. realizing that like, I, if I don't start speaking up, what kind of example is am I setting for my daughter? Mm. If I if I'm afraid of losing a few friends or a few fans because I'm afraid to say what I think, what is that going to teach her? Right. And I've had so many friends from the right come forth, man, man, we may disagree, but but everything I believe in supports you having the right to say what you say, and it takes some balls, especially in the country music world, to come out and say that. Sure. And that's the guys that I want to hang out with. That's the guys that I want to have discussions about. That's the guys that I'll sit down and we'll talk about fiscal policy, and mm-hmm. we'll start talking about like real politics instead mm-hmm. of just being like using Fox News hashtags. Yeah. You know, those guys that come at me with like libtard and killery and emails and snowflake, I'm like, man, we're not going to have a conversation. Right. It's going to be very one-sided because you're already right. You've already made up your mind. You're not willing to listen to why I believe in what I believe. Yeah. And for, for those people, like, I don't think I want, like, those people hanging around me or my family or my children. That's the thing that I'm having a hard time with is, like, I really enjoy that discussion. I really enjoy dissent. We can't, I can't get sharper if I don't listen to people who have differing opinions from me. I'm not going to get any better. That's what this record's all about <clears throat> is, is hearing both sides. Yeah. And reacting to it. Well, I don't— because I was so angry after the election I started writing Worlds on Fire I was so mad and I was so pissed off and then I had to sit it off I had one verse written and I had to sit it off and say I'm not going to write this song I'm not going to write a political I hope it breaks your heart Uh. I'm not going to write this vindictive 
fuck you, you're wrong, I'm right, because I would be a hypocrite. Uh, I would be doing the exact same stuff I'm condemning. Yeah. So I sat on it, and I toured the country. I did the Great 48, and the one question I ask everybody at the merch table, like, because you, you'd have guys walking up in MAGA hats. You'd have guys, sure, you know, walking up with Trump train shirts on. And I'm like, man, if you don't mind me asking, like, what made you do that? Why? And after you peel back that layer of, like, man, you're going to make fun of me. Fuck you. Like, I came for a shot, and I'm like, I genuinely want to hear why. Like, I'm not going to say one bad word to you. And the overwhelming response was, the right forgot about us. The left forgot about us. The right is focused on the rich. The left is focused on the poor. There's this dying middle class out there that is forgotten about. Mm. And their answer was, what did we have to lose? Wild card. Damn. Maverick, renegade. Yeah. This guy was promising to bring back jobs that have been dead for 30 years. Yep. What do we have to lose? We listened to the Bush administration. They did nothing for the middle class. Yeah. We listened to the Obama administration. They did nothing for the middle class. And it was at that point, after three months of hearing that story over and over again, that I wasn't mad anymore. I mm -hmm. felt bad. Mm -hmm. That a, a large subset of the American population was desperate enough to where they felt like that was their only hope. They had lost all faith in the political system. They weren't heard. Yeah, they were tired of not being heard. Yeah, and so they, they and that was the eye-opening thing for me. It was like, holy shit! Like I had it all wrong. People like uh, the people in Micah Schnabel's book that I see sitting over there on your yeah characters like that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's <laughs> Bro, I got my copy too. <laughs> and it's one of those things that, got, and I try to, and my friends from the left disagree with me. They're like, "You're wrong," and I'm like, "No, I'm not wrong." I was like, "I've talked to these <laughs> nah. people. Yeah, I've talked to the guy in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've yeah. talked to the guy." In South Dakota, I've talked to the guy in Montana. I've talked to the guy in Texas. I've talked to the guy in South Carolina. It's all the same. It's like, don't get me wrong. There's a very small subset of the people that voted that are hateful, right. bigoted, misogynistic, hate mongers. Right. But that's not. That's that's, not the, that's a very small percentage of yeah. who voted for Trump. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who I think don't recognize just how hateful some of the some of the stances that the administration has taken no. are like they don't process it in that way no you know what i mean it's like i said it's it, i'm not mad i'm not mad anymore i was mad for a couple months yeah now i want to figure out how we can like convince these people that the people they're voting for have nothing do not have their best interest in mind at right, all right right well I, I think that's an interesting question is like one of the things that i tried to do for the last two years pretty incessantly was really work on changing the hearts and minds of the people that I love who feel that way. My yeah. mom, my dad, my uncle, my aunt, you know, the family members yeah. who voted for Trump and will do it again in 2020 and who feel, I kept trying to fix it, you know? And then I finally realized like they, they're going, they got to make a decision for themselves and I'm just beating my head against the wall. I got to just keep making sure that I am having a dialogue that I'm not getting frustrated yeah. and allowing my frustration to take over. 100%. You know? Uh, because when you get frustrated, you start saying vindictive, mean yep. things. Mm -hmm. And that's the quickest way to turn somebody off is telling them, you're stupid, you're wrong, mm -hmm. you're an idiot. You're never going to have any kind of change that way. And you're not serving your, you're not serving your own interests in that way. You're not well, serving their interests. Like, a lot of the people that voted for right aren't just like these nameless people. They're like my friends. They're my yep. family. Yep. They're people I went to high school with. They're people I went to college with. I know these people. Yep. I know that they're good people at heart. Mm -hmm. I know that for a fact. And there's nothing anyone can say that changed. I get it. Like, well, if they voted for it, they might not be bigots or massages, but they're okay with one. Right. And I get that. I see that side of the argument. Sure. But like, I know these guys that I grew up with and I, you know, I've stood beside for 20 years and mm -hmm. I'm like, they're good people. Mm -hmm. I was like, they're just in a tight spot. Yep. <clears throat> I was like, we just have to, we have to talk about it. That's the only way to talk about it. Yeah. Cause like, and I, and I, and I've never understood how the party of, the rich became the party that like the yeah. poor vote for. I, yeah. it, it's always blown my mind. Yeah, and it seems like every election you're like, there's no way that they're, they're going to fall for it again, and they yeah. and it, it happens. Well, and you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to next week, and I'm going hiking with my buddy Bill. Excuse me, and he voted for Trump, and but he's a chemical engineer. He's a That's fucking, wild. He's a fucking genius. That's wild. He's one of the smartest people I know, and we went to college together. We've gone hiking together every year for the last ten years, and Every time we get out there on the trail and we don't have any distractions, we can sit and have a real dialogue. And he'll say some shit that I'm like, you know what? I don't agree with you, but finally I heard it 
put that way. Yeah. You know, and it's really helpful. Anytime two articulate people get together and talk about things, like in an open arena, it's great. Because there's plenty of my Republican friends that we have discussions. Right, right. And it's like, I totally understand why you feel that way. Yeah. Don't agree with it. Right. Might never agree with it. Yeah. But I totally get it now, like, why you feel that way. It's the people that are completely, that have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. That fall for all the Facebook news ads. Yeah. Like, I heard a lady, uh, we were sitting in a, we, on Rocky Mount, Virginia. We were having uh, lunch at a cafe. And it was the week after all of the uh, North Korea stuff, mm-hmm. like when Trump was over in Singapore and talking and, and stuff like that. And she didn't take anything away from it except for she was like, did you hear about Trump like uh, dearming North Korea of their nuclear weapons? She's like, this is the exact words. God is working through that man. That's what she took away from that week meeting. That's amazing. And I, and, and, and I was on tour with Corey Brandon, and Corey, me and Corey were having breakfast. And we both looked at each other, and we were like, did you hear that? <laughs> did you really hear that? And then uh, it was that moment of of realizing, like, oh, these people. And her, and her exact thing was, I don't watch the news anymore. I have Facebook. Oh, my goodness. Those are her exact words. Wow. I don't watch the news anymore. I have Facebook. Explains a lot. And explains a lot. You know, it's like, because Facebook allows you to defriend anybody you don't agree with to the point where you're sitting in a bubble of about 300 to 400 of your friends that you do agree with. So the only thing you're seeing every day is the shit that you're force feeding each other, mm-hmm. which is usually just wrong. It's on both sides, too. It's the same way with the left. Yep. It's why the left was so surprised about the election outcome. Yep. Anybody that's toured rural America, any of 2016, was not surprised in the slightest. My partner Chris and I talk about it a lot. We talk about how we surround ourselves with like-minded people, and that it it's dangerous. I mean, even it's really dangerous. Like well, the left saw how dangerous it is. <laughs> yeah. we, we like to we like to pretend the right's the only one getting all their news from Facebook and right. not listening and not looking into the facts. The left completely dismissed a grassroots movement, right? That was in front of us the whole time. Yep. And like I said, I grew up in a small town, so every time I went back to visit, as soon as you get outside of the city limits of Raleigh. Those blue signs turn red real quick, and there's yep. a lot more of them. Yep. And it's like I didn't. It w- didn't surprise me. I saw it coming. Yeah. You know, you saw. You saw it happening, but none of my friends, none of my Facebook friends, saw it happening because yeah. we lived in this insular bubble where we surround ourselves with everyone that agrees with us, yep. and we <clears throat> jerk each other off because. Yep. You know, so, oh yeah, I like that too. Aha! But we don't let anybody and anybody that comes in with any words of dissension. Oh, block. Uh, yeah. Different. Yeah. It's like you're an idiot, man. Let's gang up on him. Yeah. And it's like, so what are what do you do to combat that? And what are you consuming? Not necessarily just politically, but books, music, that kind of thing. Now, trying to talk to friends, trying trying to start a conversation with anybody, that, and let especially friends I know that, that feel differently than me. Yeah. And just let them know, like I'm not judging you, man. I just want to hear why. Yeah. Like if you made a decision, you have to be able to back it up. If yeah. not, I have no respect for you. If you just blindly made a decision because everybody else did it or because your parents did it or because that's what you were taught, then I can't respect you. But if you did it and you have reasons, I want to hear them. Sure. And I'll respect the shit out of them. Yeah. Um, for me, it's just about dialogue. It's about keeping it open. It's about talking to people. Because mm-hmm. that's something this country does not do enough of. Mm-hmm. We might think we do. We yell at each other a lot. Yeah, yeah. We don't talk to each other a lot. That's an interesting point. Um, and that's, and that's a, a shitty thing. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so what else? What are you What are you listening to now? What are you reading? Man, I'm reading the new Micah book, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, I love it too. Um, I'm about forty pages in. This tour, I've been going back and let's see what I've read this tour. I've read. I'm just running out of uh, tour is <laughs> almost over. I went back and I read Walker Percy's Love in the Ruins again. Uh, Cormac McCarthy's All the Pretty Horses Again. Oh, yeah. I love that book. Um, One of my favorites. Sean Hodgman's Vacation Land. A little comedy. Huh. And then uh, Rick Bragg, My Southern Journey. I love Rick Bragg. Rick Bragg's great. He's one of my favorites. That's, uh, what, that's what I've been... Uh, uh, for those been, listening, we just went through the cabinets <laughs> of my room. Um, that's what I've been listening. And then I was in... Colum- uh, that's what I've been reading. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
uh, and we were in Columbus, and Micah came out to the show and brought me a copy of the book. Oh, dope. He's going to be here t- in two days. Oh, I know. I saw his yeah. Florida schedule. We're literally, I think he's in Jacksonville tonight. We're in Jacksonville, yeah. like, on Wednesday. Oh, wow. So we're literally just cutting around yeah. each other. But uh, he's one of my favorite people. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite lyricists. Um, I don't think people give him enough credit for being um, the genius that he is. I agree. Um, which <clears> sucks, because, you know, every time I get a chance to be uh, a spokesman for him, I, I, I take that chance. Yeah, he was uh, episode three of my show, and he's so brilliant. He's man. so smart. Yeah, and and the interesting and the, thing, and the nicest dude in the world. So nice. He's so kind, and he it's his episode and your episode are the two that people really get into. They're the ones. They're the two episodes that people say, and a lot of times it's songwriters. So like for example, um, Casey Anderson started listening to my show because and he he said has said said nice things about you he said uh casey's a fucking sweetheart i've known that man for for a long time he told me that a huge part of why he decided to get back into playing music was because of something that you said to encourage him oh yeah i think i told him he was one of my favorite writers like his records were amazing he's got a new one coming out i know i've been Um, he sent me a copy i've been loving it he's such a he, he's one of my favorite people, and uh, you know, that's great. Through a through a few missteps, you know, sure. it's you know, life happens. Yep. But he's back on the train. I think. I think he's he's doing well. He sounds great. I talked to him on uh, last week sometime. Good. Yeah. I always see him anytime I'm out on the West Coast. I always see him, and I think him and his gal are driving around the country, supporting the record, and you know, vacation slash tour. Yeah. So, uh, told me he's gonna hit me up for some good spots around i was like man i got him that's great every time i got him that's awesome uh i don't want to take much more of your time you know you got stuff to do i do just wanted to i wanted to circle back to that idea of sequencing because you were talking about how the world is on fire starts off the record intentionally and then you said also you've been starting sets with it this record feels like you were very intentional about the sequencing oh for sure um so the record is pretty much a side A, side B record. Yeah. If you listen to it on vinyl, it's a lot more clear. Do you have so, copies with you? Yeah, I do. Great. I do. I um, side, a is, later. side A is very much a rock and roll record. Side B is very much a country tinge record. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and each side of the record tackles kind of the same things from different musical genres. Right. Um, so I've got One Day at a Time, and then I gave up the drinking. Yeah. To tackle, like, sobriety and stuff like that. Right. And then... Uh, the, the second side of the record, you know, for country fans, they, they tend to lean more toward that. Yeah. And the people that really kind of like like the rockier edge. Yeah. Tend to, they, for the fans of Whiskey Town that like us, they like side B. But for uh, the fans of like Lucero and the Truckers, uh, they like side A. That's interesting. Those and are all did, my favorite bands. We did that on, <laughs> we did that on purpose because yeah. we are very much a band that, that fully operates in the rock and the country world. Yep. Like we can... We're a really good rock and roll band, and we can also be a really great country band. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to kind of fully separate those this time because usually we just interweave them, and we seem like this bipolar band of, do they want to be a country band? Do they want to be a rock and roll band? Like, what do they want to be? Right. And so this record is very clear. It's like, we can be both. Yeah, yeah. But we're, we're not going to make you flip-flop back and forth too much. Yeah. Um, and the sequence was, was just about smacking people in the face up front. Yeah. Letting them know where this record stood. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that Tough Folks, Crooked and Straight, and uh, The World's on Fire lead off that record. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we it's very, very front-heavy stacked in our, in our live show, too. Awesome. Because most of the time, when you go to see your favorite band, it's like, oh, they're going to play the stuff off the new record. Uh, we're leading with that stuff. Yeah. I, do you, do you think people still feel that way? I don't think. I've felt that way with a lot of bands I've went and saw. You have? But I don't think that anybody feels that way with this record, right? Because they're singing along to it. Yeah, yeah. Because I, when I'm going to see, like, t- I want to hear the new stuff. I've heard you play the old stuff. I want to hear the old stuff too. Don't exactly. get me wrong. But I've heard you play the old stuff. I haven't heard you play these songs. I'm one of those guys that, like, if I've had enough time to digest the record, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. But I'm talking about from day one. I'm talking about from like May 24th when we started this tour and the record wasn't out yet. Yeah. We were leading with the new stuff. Yeah. And people were singing along to it. That's great, man. They were listening on Spotify, on YouTube, and yeah. finding it and listening to it. That's great. And it's it's been great. You played, I don't remember what it was because you hadn't released anything yet. Back in when you played Dallas, you played one or two songs from I the probably new played like Final Curtain. I may have played Tough Folks. Okay. Maybe. I don't remember. 
Um, it was only one or two. Um, well, I love the record. Thanks, I man. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, it's my favorite American Aquarium record. Mine too. I think you're doing great stuff, and I'm so happy for you. My brother, my brother, he's a. I love him to death. He's like a conservative, uh, Southern Baptist, yeah. small town guy. Uh-huh. And so I'm sure he disagrees with a lot of the lyrical content on the record. But he called me up and he was like, "Hey, listen to the new record." I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "I just want to let you know that this is your best record." He said, "This is the." He said, "This is the most concise the songs have ever been." Wow. And I was like, "Thanks, man." He's like, "I don't agree with it all." And he's like, "There's other songs that I like better than some of the songs on here." But he's like, as far from a start to finish record, he's like, this is the best thing you've ever done. Oh, that's huge, BJ. And like my brother, me, me and him, like we love each other and we're family. We don't compliment each other too much. Yeah. And so for him to go out of his way to disagree with the record and still say like, this is the best thing you've ever released. I don't give a shit what any review says. That's like, great, man. My brother likes this record. Yeah. And like, that's the biggest thing for me is like, because, and like he said, and I agree with it. Yeah. There's songs off other records that fans are always going to love better. Mm-hmm. Or not always. I take that back. From first listen, there's people that are going to come to the show and like, yeah, I like that new record, but play Burn, Flick, or Die. Play I Hope Breaks Your Heart. Play Wolves. Sure. Play, you know, whatever your favorite American Aquarium song is. Yeah. And he's like, but as far as a record, this stands up. That's amazing. And I was like, thanks, man. That's great. And uh, I, I, I don't disagree with him. I think it's a, <clears throat> from start to finish, I'm proud of all 10 of those songs. That's wonderful. Yeah. And we play all 10 of those songs in the set oh great this is the only record that like we like not every night obviously oh. you know we yeah only, i was like damn that's fun we only have <laughs> every night we play between 19 and 23 songs okay so if we were to play over it really cuts away from a lot of the yeah. stuff um but we're playing like a the list of the songs on this tour is like scary oh cool like we're playing like almost 60 songs from the american aquarium catalog yeah like and every night we pick like 23 or 24 of them and go strong. We play at least six songs off the new record every night. So it's heavy on the new record. Right. And that's all chronological going from the new record to the old record. Right, right, right. But I'm looking at a, uh, he's got like a handwritten list of the, of the songs, those of you. So every night that's kind of like my, my, my word bank. That's great. And my song bank to go to and, yeah. and pull, pull 24 from there. And it's, uh, it's neat as a, as a songwriter to go back and look at a page like that. Yeah. And realize like, oh wow, I've like Joe Pug came and saw uh, our show in D.C. and we had we had an hour and a half set, and his first words to me after the show were, "I forgot how deep a catalog you had." Man. Oh wow. He's like, he's like twelve years in, seven full length records. Yeah. He's like, I forgot how concise of an hour and a half you can get. He's wow. like, he's like, you're playing the hits, you're playing the new record playing a couple b-sides and like the crowd is following that ride the whole way he's that's like great. i forgot how much stuff you had that like is good that's gotta feel good especially coming for somebody oh, like yeah. joe pug pug's like <laughs> he's pug's, so pug's one of my dear he's one of my dearest friends in this business he's one of my favorite human beings yeah so anytime he says anything kind i take it well and you, know. uh, you had another huge compliment the other day you posted brian koppelman yeah i had lunch oh, with brian yeah. in uh, new york when we were up there he has been a big fan of the a record um, he's had nothing but good things to say, uh, awesome. and he sat me down and told me it was one of the best records of the last couple of years. That's huge. And it was man. huge for me. It was, you know, because he's had such an illustrious career in the music business, and now he's, and then he just randomly one day decided to be a screenwriter, and yep. then he wrote Rounders and Ocean's Thirteen, and now he's doing billions on Showtime. He's also um, got one of the best podcasts out there. Yeah, I love and it. I'm, me, we're trying to find time for me to mm. do his his podcast. Um, one of these days, I'm going to make that happen. That's awesome. Um, even if I have to fly up to New York for a day and make it happen. Sure. Um, but yeah, he's he's one of the good guys, man. That's great. Yeah. Uh, it's got to feel good. It, it's a. It does not suck. Yeah, yeah. That is true. Um, it's a. It's a good feeling to, to have contemporaries, uh, and people that I respect, yeah. come out and say like, "Holy shit, this record's." I've liked you before, but I love this record. Yeah, that's a that's a good feeling. Yeah. And uh, now it's just about getting back on the horse and writing a better record than this. Yeah, well, that's yeah. fun. That's a fun challenge. That's the, that's the fun part. Yeah, man, is, is trying to make 
your newest record your best record yeah um and as long as we keep climbing that hill i'm i'm, I'm happy man that's it, awesome I, I don't ever want to make something that somebody says this isn't as good as your last thing yeah because that's when your career starts dipping right <laughs> <laughs> well this one's the best and Thanks, thank man. you so much i appreciate for you taking the time oh yeah, yeah. Man, for sure all right heck yeah trip into the marinade bj went on to play the most incredible set with the new lineup of american aquarium i've mentioned on the show before that i was a little bit hesitant to really commit to the new lineup because i love the old guys and i got a chance to kind of get to know them uh, somewhat personally but also on a on a level of just going to the shows and having that that communal atmosphere and, and connecting in the way that bj mentioned during our conversation but the new lineup is outstanding they're absolutely amazing this new record is one that i'm I keep getting down on. I can't get enough of. It's a beautiful vinyl too. I bought the vinyl at the show, and if you uh, if you're into vinyl, I highly recommend that you invest in that as well. Um, BJ set with American Aquarium, as I said, was amazing. It was a magical night with Hannah Harbor uh, playing a fantastic set of her own at the beginning, and then Travis Meadows taking us to church and. And then uh, American Aquarium really burning the roof off of Will's Pub. Really, truly magical, beautiful night. Go catch American Aquarium on the second leg of their tour if they're coming your way. They're starting very, very soon. And uh, I know they're heading to Texas and and some other dates. So check out AmericanAquarium.com and see if the boys are headed your way. Don't miss it if if they're coming your way because they are so fantastic. What I'm getting down on, y'all, Bicycle Race Transportation, Culture, and Resistance is the book that I'm reading right now by Adonia E. Lugo. It's about sort of the intersection between bicycle travel and race and how race plays a role in our decisions as a society about bike infrastructure. So interesting. Um, the, uh, the book I just finished was Caleb Johnson's Treeborn, which I mentioned on the last episode. Um, and uh, it's just unbelievable. Um, Lee Baines III is actually mentioned in the acknowledgments um, you know, leave back from, uh, episode five of this show. And, uh, and it, it's everything that was advertised by Lee at the time. We talked about it you know, during our conversation then. And, uh, Kayla, I just think Caleb is a, a beautiful writer based on what I've read in this book. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more from him. So check out Treeborn if you haven't already. Bicycle Race is what I'm reading. And I highly recommend it if you have any interest in, in sort of traveling this country, um, and, and, or, and or race because it, it covers so much music, uh, really listening to Hannah Harbor and the Lionhearts be free, which, uh, if you, uh, are interested in supporting Hannah, she has a Kickstarter and, um, they fully funded it, but you can still contribute and that'll allow them to do some other really cool things. Um, including maybe recording more tracks, um, having some more studio time, things like that. 
You can check out some of her music on Spotify. I know there's a song on Amazon, at least one on Amazon as well. And then there's several videos you can find on YouTube. Um, Hannah Harbour and the Lionhearts, Be Free is the name of the EP that's available now. And then they're going to go into the studio and, uh, and record a new album. So I'm excited for that. She's an amazing creative. And her own episode of The Marinade with Jason Earl will be coming very soon. We just started talking, y'all. We I was just asking her to tell the story of breaking BJ's capo. And turns out, there's way too much to Hannah Harbor for us just to talk about somebody else. So I appreciate her talking about that moment, but also I can't wait for y'all to hear this, uh, this person's brain and just how interesting she is in her creative process. We also got a couple other amazing episodes coming up, including Vanessa Jean Speckman and then Micah Schnabel making a return to the marinade. If you follow us on social media, you've seen that. If you don't follow us on social media, we're at Marinade Podcast on Twitter, Marinade underscore podcast on Instagram, and Facebook.com slash Marinade Podcast on Facebook. Also been listening to Boots Riley. Uh, Boots Riley is the uh, mastermind behind Sorry to Bother You, the film that is getting so much press recently. And uh, a lot of people whose opinions I greatly uh, respect have been swearing by this film, which unfortunately I haven't seen yet, but I'm excited to check it out. Um, his music is also really cool. And if, you, if you're into hip-hop at all, I highly recommend you check it out. Street Sweeper Social Club is his project with Tom Morello um, of Rage Against the Machine and Prophets of Rage. And then, of course, his own project, The Night Watchman. And then The Coup is um, what Casey Anderson recommended. Casey's Hawks and Doves record comes out on July 27th. Can't wait for that, for everybody to hear from a white hotel. Still my favorite record of the year, uh, which is um, which is saying something, considering how many great records there have been this year. So I'm excited for everybody to hear that. The last thing I wanted to tell you about is there um, is a band, Love Cannon, and the record's called Cover Stories that I've been getting down on. It's pretty cool. It's... Um, it's really hard to explain other than using kind of sweeping generalizations about it being kind of jammy bluegrass sort of style. I'm sure that they're cringing at hearing that, but um, real groove heavy, uh, danceable, really fun music and, and really well done. Excellent musicianship. Love Canon uh, cover stories. It's a bunch of cover songs uh, done in that in their own style. And I just, I think it's wonderful. So I highly recommend it. Check that out. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if uh, a shout out to our Patreon patrons. And, um, if you have a chance and you can, you can swing it, we'd love for uh, some more support over on patreon.com. Also just really helps us out. If you rate us on iTunes or, um, or on Google play or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if we're not on your platform, just let me know. I think we've got just about everything covered, but if there's something that some other place you prefer to consume podcasts that we have yet to accommodate, let me know, please shoot me an email, marinadepodcast at gmail.com. I love those messages. Keep them coming. Thank you so much for interacting on Twitter as much as you have been. I say it every, uh, every episode, but I'm going to keep saying it because it, it does truly mean a lot to me. I got a really personal message recently. Um, about how impactful the Travis Meadows episode was. Actually, I've received several messages about the Travis Meadows episode and what he had to say and how much that particular episode touched people. So um, thank you to Travis again, and thank you to all of you for letting me know what it meant to you and, and how it has impacted your life, the stories that people like Travis tell. Thank you all so much. I love you. I appreciate you. Cheers, y'all.